What day is it today? It is Palm Sunday. It is the time that Christendom remembers the triumphant entry of our Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem where they waved palms and laid them on the street and threw their robes and Jesus who entered the city on a donkey they were all saying hallelujah hosanna hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord hosanna now it's been said that if Jesus went in the city of Jerusalem on a horse it would have painted a totally different picture. Because if you're coming in on a donkey, then you come in peace. If you come in riding on a horse, it means you're coming in to fight. And this is what the Jewish people were expecting, that they would have a king, and that their king would fight for them and defeat the Roman Empire who was persecuting them. You see, God works in mysterious ways, doesn't He? The King of kings and Lord of lords comes to be born in a manger, comes to His people not to fight, but to bring peace. We've been discussing our acrostic called Christ. And we've been telling you time and time again that the mission of CCF as a body of Christ is to bring the gospel that's evangelism. And to those who respond to the gospel to be discipled into Christ-likeness. And because of God's goodness and graciousness to us, look at us. We're almost packed 100%. And that's why we encourage you to pray with us. Pray for a bigger venue. You know, it would have been easier just have to multiple serve just to have multiple services but with the other uh, christian group coming in at two o'clock this facility does not allow that so please be in prayer for us and for your church and the way for us to expand the kingdom is through bridging events probably some of you are products of some bridging events a retreat a couple's retreat, a weekend encounter, some kind of activity wherein you were exposed to the gospel. And our brother Reggie has managed to put something together to remind us of the bridging activities that are coming. So here goes with this video.
Okay ba? Yes! You see, may credits pa! Praise God. Thank you, Brother Reggie. We'll show that video again towards the end to remind you that there are many things that your leadership is lining up to give you the opportunity, the venue, to invite people who need to know about a saving knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that okay that we constantly remind you? So some of the groups are already planning stuff. Couples retreat, family seminar, uh, parenting, financial breakthroughs. Are these important stuff? Do you think these topics will really address the issues that many of the people are facing today? So please already be in prayer. Think about people already. Oh, there's going to be a parenting retreat. I know of somebody who's having difficulty, you know, in their family life or you know somebody who is upside down on the house and they're, they're way over their heads and stuff. You know, the financial breakthrough seminar is definitely going to help them. All right? So we will constantly update you on what's going on. All right? So we have our last uh, message on the acrostic. And our message has been being, growing, and enjoying what? What? have we been encouraging everyone to enjoy Christ-likeness? And then we came up, Brother Danny came up with the acrostic, a life full of Christ, conquest over sin, hope and not despair, rejoicing and not defeated, inspiration, not discouragement, success and not wasted life, thankfulness and not grumbling. And we distilled it into just two basic characters that we should emulate Christ on, and that is what? Humility and selflessness. I call it selfless sacrifice. Just the same. We know and we're getting the point. So, last Sunday, Pastor Reggie shared with us on the S, which is what? Success. And not a wasted life. And he shared with us about the story of Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph? Joseph. Joseph. There's Joseph behind it. No, no, no. Not that one. You. Rabbi Joseph. Yes, you know who you are. All right. And we saw a snapshot of how Joseph, being faithful to God, and in spite and despite of his faithfulness to God, he went through a lot of problems. Right? Yes, you were asleep. You, you stood up and you stayed up watching the, the fight. But what's the key? Why can we use Joseph as a model of success and not a wasted life? The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So why was, was Joseph successful? Because of the Lord. It was the Lord's presence in his life because Joseph found favor with the Lord that God granted him success. So it's not necessarily because of what Joseph had done, 
but it was because of the presence of the Lord and the favor of the Lord upon Joseph. This morning, we tackle the last one. And what is it? Thankfulness and not grumbling. Thankfulness and not grumbling. I'd like to start off by calling up the three young men that we sent to the Catalyst Seminar so that they can come up here and give thanks as to what they have learned. I want to praise God. I want to praise God for all of you. Because remember, we challenged you. If God moves in your heart and confirms that God wants to send these young men to that seminar, that we would give you the opportunity to participate. And it is my understanding from our treasurer that because of your generous giving, you funded these three men 100%. Praise God. So uh, you guys didn't know that you guys sent us to a conference. Uh, it was a leadership conference. And we just want to share briefly, like, what we learned, stuff we learned, and, like, stuff that we want to share with you guys. So for the next two and a half hours, we'll be Not talking about... Oh, okay. No. For the next couple of minutes, we'll be talking about stuff we learned, stuff that stuck with us throughout the three days that we were there. So first off would be Bien. Oh, wait, no, it's, never mind. Sean. Sean's going to go first. No, you already said Bien. Okay. No, no, I'm just kidding. So uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you to everyone for uh, all your support, your prayers, and your encouragement. Um, it really helped us all out a lot. And uh, so um, yeah, the conference was really good. Um, the things that really stuck out to me was actually perfect because it's actually being thankful. Um, because uh, the first one that I uh, picked up was um, to just really uh, stop and taste the goodness of God. Because um, with our hectic lives right now, like we tend to just uh, just keep working and working and working, trying to achieve something that we don't have yet. But we forget that um, God has given us so much already in our lives that we just tend to like, okay, we already have that. Now let's move on to the next thing that I want God to give me. So it hit me because... Um, I was stuck in that loop wherein I just focused on like, okay, I already have this. I need to do this one next. I need to do that one next. So um, yeah, the biggest learning for that topic is um, that I just need to just stop and just be in awe of what God has already done in my life and basically just have a thankful heart. And um, But I guess in our generation right now, it's really hard to be thankful because um, of all the distractions that we have like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Manny Pacquiao, I guess. <laughs> and um, like uh, it just starts to cloud our vision on what we really need to achieve and what's really important in our lives. And um, like we start to compare ourselves to other people like, oh, like Jay's not here, but look, if I see Jay's Instagram, I'd be like, wow, he's like so ripped. I want to be ripped too. Like I, I don't feel good enough, you know? So, um, <laughs> But then uh, there was this verse that they brought up at Catalyst, um, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. 
And the one that really struck me was, before you were born, I set you apart. So it means that God has already a specific plan for me. Like, um, I shouldn't be like Jay, or I shouldn't be like Adrian, who's texting. <laughs> I got you back. <laughs> no, I love Adrian to death. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so moving on to the next thing that I really learned was... <laughs> But uh, moving on to the next thing that I really picked up was um, that comparison is the cancer to contentment. And it was uh, displayed in uh, Saul's life wherein he compared himself to David and he just forgot about all the success he had and just said, oh, why are you guys praising David and not me? Or why did you guys say that he killed tens of thousands while me just a thousand? And it ultimately led to his like destruction. And so like for that one, I guess... What I, uh, what I picked up was to just stop complaining about the things you don't have and to just start praising about the things you already have and to just let God's creativity, like, just allow it to work in your life. Don't say that I want to be like Jay, I want to be like Pastor in song. Just say I want to be the best Sean that God can do. And um, <laughs> thank you. And so I just want to leave you guys with this question. Um, like, are you trying to beat someone in your life, or are you just trying to focus on Christ himself? So. Okay. Right, so um, from the Catalyst Conference, um, uh, ties into this, the thankfulness is the same thing as contentment. And, um, you know, the thing that comes with thankfulness, like, uh, for me, what, what I took from this was, like, uh, Pastor Francis Chan, he talked about the story of Gideon. And usually when we think of Gideon, we think of him as this guy who, you know, kept kept testing God because, you know, like the angel of God came to him and you'd think just the angel telling him that God was with him, he'd be able to say like, you know, that, yeah, I'll do it. Because, I mean, it's an angel of God. Like, how 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 is he not able to... But what what's cool how he interpreted was Gideon... He put those tests for God. He put the fleece out there so that God would dry it up. God would make it wet. He, he did those tests so that he fully knew that God was with him. And when he fully knew that God was with him, there was no doubt in his mind that God was with him right there and then. He was willing to go to anything because he knew that the God, the, crea the creator of this universe, was got his back. You know? It's like this awesome feeling that this person that can hold you in the palm of your hand... Well, just that imagination that God holds the earth in the palm of his hand and you're smaller than the earth itself. Like you can't even see yourself on a map. And the God of the universe is able to tell you that he's got your back and that he's going to help you through whatever you're going through. And then that brought up the point when he was talking about like Facebook and Instagram. One of the pastors said, um, basing off of that, like when do those things become a mirror? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Mirror, mirror on Facebook. Tell me how I should look. Mirror, mirror on Instagram. Tell me who I really am. Like, those defining things of the world that we're living in right now, like, why are you running your race on someone else's mark? You know? And th that struck me because, like, so often we compare ourselves to other people, and yet God made one you, and you are unique. Even the word unique has the, word you, has the letter U in it, you know? And then... Uh, what Christine Kane said really got me. She said, when you can find God in your trials, you can find him anywhere. And then so often we lose the concept that just because we're going through something 
that means God has left us. Well, it's the complete opposite. You won't be going through a trial unless God wanted you to put, to put you through it in the first place because he knows that you can get through it. Like, the devil doesn't need to attack a Christian who's not doing anything. It's like a sleeping bear. Like, when you come across a bear, like, you wouldn't try to provoke it so that it would attack you. Like, that's the devil. If you're a sleeping Christian, then the devil just needs... The, if you're a sleeping bear, then the devil doesn't need to touch you because he knows that you're not doing anything to further the kingdom of God, you know? And from that, Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So understand that, you know, when you're going through a trial, God gives you the tools to be able to get through those. And just know that you are your own person and that you were made in the image of God. And in that, you just delight in that because honestly, you yourself are unique and God cares for each and every one of you. And that fact was made clear to me in like the past few weeks. I'm putting my paper down because I don't want you guys to see me like shaking <laughs> this whole time. Um, but for me, I actually came out of Catalyst. It was a leadership conference. I came out with more questions than I did answers. So now you're probably thinking you wasted your money on this guy because <laughs> you didn't really like get anything. But if there's a couple of things that I realized, it's a leadership conference. And we as a church have a lot of misconceptions when it comes to leaders. We have these false expectations that we put them on this like pedestal. But in reality, like what, what a leader isn't, he isn't someone who sits above everyone else. He's not someone who demands validation or attention from anyone. And he doesn't step on others to achieve his goals, to like manipulate others to achieve whatever it is that he wants to do. But then society, like the corporate ladder, that's what it teaches you. It's only in church that it teaches you that a leader has to be last. That you're not really a leader at church, you're a servant more than anything. So what is an actual leader then? The leader is the guy who makes the sacrifice so that someone else can be better. Someone else can do better. You let others stand on your shoulders so that they have a better view of who Jesus Christ is. So even as a leader, when you're labeled as a leader, as a servant in church, you tend to focus on the wrong things. There's a lot of them, but just a few of them is you're too busy trying to be right all the time. You're too busy thinking about what's the next thing we should do? What's the next step? What should I be doing? What should I be? How should I be performing as a leader? with this title attached to my name. And there's also the, like, the tendency to compare yourself with others. And what we realized was that when you compare yourself with other people, with the person standing next to you, that's the time when you take your eyes off Jesus. When you start looking at other people, you take your eyes off Jesus in that moment. Like how they said about Saul, like he, like he started off fine, but as soon as he looked to David, comparing himself to David, he lost sight of who God was. And like I said, it's like comparison is the cancer to contentment. So if these are the wrong things that we look at, what is the right thing? Because there, there really is just one right thing that we have to look at. And we have to look back to David. Um, he says it best in his prayer in Psalm 27, 4, where he just says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. What that means is you have to rest in the love of God. Just rest. We're too busy doing stuff. 
You don't have enough time to just sit down, listen, be quiet, and let him minister to us, let him talk to us. And it gives us this time, this moment, to really know how to fix our eyes on Christ, not the person next to you. When we gaze on how beautiful Jesus is, when he becomes the beauty in our lives, that's when all the things on this earth become so strangely dim. Like everything just pales in comparison to how beautiful Jesus is. So I'm just going to leave you guys with this quote. One of the pastors said this, and it just gave me a perspective, gave me a place to come from. It says, stop complaining about the pieces you didn't get. Thank him for the masterpiece that he's made you. So I guess just my challenge for you guys is to really find some time to rest in Christ. Let him talk to you. Because usually when I pray, I'm too busy giving God suggestions, giving him, like telling him how to run my life, telling him how to run this world. And I would suck at being God because like, you know, I'd go through my day and there would be like multiple casualties. I'd be like dead, dead plague over there. Like, oh my gosh, like I'll be a terrible God. So why don't we just let God be who he is? Let him be the beauty in your life. That's it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bogi, pakai adjust. Pakai lang medio. Bogi is really one of Bogs. Apa tu? Bogi is really. Bogey is really one of our most faithful guys here at church. Yeah, but but sometimes we have to. You see, you see what's it, it's it's hard to come up here sometimes, you know. And are you getting the point? Are you getting the point? Be thankful rather than. Grumble and complain. What's thankfulness? What is thankfulness anyway? The original Aramaic is yada. Definition is to praise. The NASB translates this as to give or giving thanks. In Greek, it's eucharistos. Definition of thankfulness, giving of thanks. From our religious background, when you hear the word Eucharist, isn't that celebration? The only way that you can celebrate is if you're thankful. You cannot celebrate if you're not thankful. Right? In contrast, what does grumble or grumbling mean? In the Old Testament, it's the word of, for loon. It's defined as to murmur. Now, do you hear a murmur? Sometimes you need to see your cardiologist, and your cardiologist will tell you, you have a heart murmur. Why is it that he can hear it and you cannot? Because he has an instrument called the stethoscope. And with that, he can listen to your heart and there determine 
you have a murmur. It's translated as to growl, to grumble, or grumbling. Gogitso, in Greek, to murmur, to mutter, to grumble with muffled undertones. Figuratively, to murmur, to grumble, to show smoldering discontent. Droning in a low, constant that my friends is how the Bible defines grumbling now are we guilty of grumbling As my wife would say, I don't say a word, but my, my face shouts something. I am guilty. Because if we look at the definition of thankfulness, which is to praise, then grumbling is therefore the reverse or the opposite, which is not to praise. Are you with me? So what are we? If we are supposed to enjoy being and growing in Christ-likeness, then one attribute, one characteristic for us to embrace and to practice is to be thankful and not to be grumbling. Therefore, thankfulness is to praise God while grumbling is to complain. To be ungrateful, to be ungracious, is to grumble. As we read our main text, may I ask all of us to please rise? And many of us know this passage. Luke 17, verse 11 to 19. Let's all read. While he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered the village, ten leprous men stood at a distance to meet him and said in their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, where were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is our prayer, Lord, that you minister to our hearts, that you reveal the very core of what is inside our hearts, Lord God and to do your handiwork of surgery to remove that which does not glorify you. Father, I pray that as you have continued to speak to me, continue to use me, Lord God, this morning to communicate your word that we might find understanding and obedience in it, Lord God, so that we may, in our obedience, bring glory and honor to your name. This is our prayer, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
Now, this is a very famous story, and many of us know this. There were 10 lepers, and they came to Jesus, knowing that Jesus had the power and authority to heal them instantaneously if he wanted to. Now, many of us, perhaps in a similar situation, would come to Jesus expecting instantaneous relief, instantaneous healing. Supernatural, miraculous healing on the spot. Right? But what did Jesus say? When they went to Jesus, they cried out to him, and then what did he say? What did he say? Go and show yourselves to the priest. So you have to do your part. Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest. Now, if you have that complaining attitude, perhaps you would say, why do I need to go to the priest? I went to you. You're the healer, are you not? You have, you have done miracles, have you not? I come to you and you send me to somebody else? Ten lepers, ten men with leprosy went to him. He told all ten, go and show yourselves to the priest. Right? Now one of them, one of the ten, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back glorifying God with a loud voice. How many were there? How many noticed that he was healed? At least one that noticed enough to return to Jesus and to glorify God. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And what was his background? He was a Samaritan. And we know from the Bible that Samaritans don't want to have anything to do with Jews, and Jews don't want to have anything to do with Samaritans. Long story, that's a different message altogether. But this foreigner, out of the ten who were healed, came back and gave thanks to God, glorifying him. And Jesus asked, were there not ten who were cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. If you pay close attention to the passage, when Jesus said, go and show yourselves to the priest, when were they healed? As they were going to the priest to show themselves, they were healed. They, they, were, they were not healed when they came to the priests. When they obeyed the command of Jesus, as they were going, they were healed. And all ten of them were healed, yet only one. Only one had the heart to come back to Jesus and thank him. And why this one man? What drove him to go back and thank Jesus? Jesus said to him, stand up, your what? Your faith has made you well. The Bible is awash with many stories. And we're going to go back in time, going to the Old Testament, looking at thankfulness and grumbling and trying to align stories of the Israelites with the story of the Samaritan and how he responded to his encounter with Jesus. Now, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us 
Let us not try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The Apostle Paul tells us to go back to the Old Testament to read and to learn from the Israelites for the purpose of knowing what we should not follow from their mistakes. So it's a good thing to go back. What was God's plan for His people according to Exodus chapter 3? The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because they're taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. What is God's plan for His people? God's plan for His people is to redeem them from their taskmasters, the Egyptians, to transport them to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he calls his servant Moses through a burning bush. And he explains to Moses, this is my plan for my people. But Pharaoh had a hard heart and he would not let his people go. Now this is the assurance from another passage in the Bible about the promised land. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their carved images and cast idols and demolish their high places. Take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess. Has God already assured them of this land? Yes or no? These people are awake over here. Has God already given the land to them? What is left for them to do? Just to take possession of the land. Unfortunately, there are some people who are living there. And God tells them to drive them out. But what is the assurance? I have given you the land. With that as a background, we go back. The Israelites were under the Egyptians. And God notices their dire circumstances. And God called Moses to bring them out. Pharaoh's heart was, was very hard. So what did God do? God sent ten plagues. Pharaoh wouldn't budge until finally the last plague. The plague of the death of the firstborn. And Pharaoh releases them according to to God's word to Moses that they would leave Egypt with all the plunder that they could carry with them. Why? This was God's plan. So here you are. You are witness to God's power to deliver you from your very dire circumstances. And you're on your way to claiming the promise that God has given to you. I have given you the land. Just take possession of it. Alright? Now, what did they do? 
first they complain about food. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. What's the promise? Does God have a good plan for them? Yes. But what happens? This is only by the biblical account on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. Give or take 45 days. And then what? It is better that you have, we have stayed in Egypt where we have food, when we have water. Why did you bring us out into the wilderness? Did you bring us here to, whole, to kill this whole assembly? What was their life in Egypt? They were, they were less than human beings. They were less than human beings. After they complain about the food, what else? Now you are in the desert. Of course, water is very essential. Right? Exodus 17. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with these people? A little more, and they will stone me. Do you need water? Yes, of course. We're not discounting the fact that food and water are essential to life. Much more, they're traveling in the desert. But what was their attitude? They were complaining against Moses. They grumbled against Moses. And what did Moses say at the last part? Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? What did they complain about? Food. Water. Manna. What is manna? Not your inheritance, okay? <laughs> Not your inheritance. Okay, manna. Let's take a look. Numbers 11. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remembered the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Now what is manna? Manna is like a coriander wafer. God promised to them that at night the cloud would descend and in the morning when the cloud would go up, on the ground there will be manna. 
to feed the people. Now, they're comparing their life in Egypt. Going back, they said what? Cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. But now our appetite is gone. Nakakawalang gana. All we have is this manna. You forget that God delivered you from the Egyptians in the life that you had in Egypt and is bringing you toward a land flowing with milk and honey and all you can muster is, wala ba talagang imong makain? Is there nothing left to eat except this manna? They complain about food. They complain about water. They complain about manna. What else? They even complain about the promised land. This land that God had been preparing for them as early as when God spoke to Abraham, when already God told Abraham, you will be a chosen people. And then your people will be enslaved for 400 years. And then I will release them. I will bring them to a good and spacious land. Now they're at the tip. They send out 12 tribes. 12 spies representing the 12 tribes. 10 of them give a negative report. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, give a good report. Right? So the land was indeed as God promised. The pomegranates, the vegetation is last, lush, good for food, so much that the, the, the branches that we're carrying because of the size and volume, the fruit are about to break. Right? But look, the 10. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Hindi ito si Freddy Aguilar. Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. And the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amarkites, and the Termites are living, wala yung termites, are living in the country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the Jordan. What did they see? They saw all the negative stuff. They forget that God was with them. That they forget that this is God's promise to them. And Caleb and Joshua gave a good report. He said, we can take the land. But, because 10 gave a negative report, Two gave a positive report. What happened? They decided not to go in. And the journey of about two miles resulted in their wandering in the desert for 40 long years. They complained about the food. They complained about the water. They complained about the manna. They complained about the promised land. And guess what? 
they also complained about their leaders. Numbers 14. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses, and the whole congregation said to them, Ito na naman, like a broken record. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. They are really grateful people. The Bible calls the Israelites stiff-necked people because they wouldn't listen. They would not obey. So what happened? Verse 4, they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and what? Return to Egypt. As if they had a nice life in Egypt. As if they were living in luxury in Egypt. But what were they really in Egypt? They were slaves. If I'm an Egyptian and I kill you and you are an Israelite, no problem. You're just, I'm just like swatting flies. You have no rights. You're not even considered a person. That's why when the original Pharaoh during the time of Joseph, he let the Israelites stay there and to prosper there. But when that Pharaoh died and a new Pharaoh came in, why are there so many Israelites here? They might overpower us. So they were enslaved. And when Moses with God was doing all the miracles that God had allowed him to do, the taskmasters gave them more problems. Okay, you make bricks without straw. Oh, how will you make bricks without straw? Became harder for them. And what do they want? Let us appoint new elders. Let us appoint new leaders so that we can go back to Egypt. They are a grumbling and complaining people, missing the fact that it is God who planned this from the very beginning. God's promise for them is they will come into a land flowing with milk and honey. We all know Jeremiah 29, right? Part of that chapter is our favorite verse. For I know, fill in the blanks, for I know the plans I have for you Plans to and not to to give you a and a but what is the context of that verse? God told the Israelites while you're in captivity under Babylon you cooperate with the Babylonians so that when they prosper you will prosper with them. Why? Because I know the plans I have for you. It might not be in accordance with what we think the right plan would be. Because if I'm under oppression, my natural instinct, well, I must be in rebellion against this authority. But God said, no, you prosper with them. Because in their prosperity, you will also prosper. Because I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Let's change the leaders. Let's go back to Egypt where we can die. 
Imagine that. Ten times, according to the book of Numbers, they complained. And what did God do? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fail in the wilderness. Even all you numbered men, according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, surely you shall not come into the land which I swore and t swore to settle you, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. The two-mile journey became a journey of 40 years, and all who were aged 20 and up died in the wilderness. But what did God do? Despite their complaining attitude and their grumbling spirit, God continued to be gracious to them. Do you know that in the 40 years that they were wandering in the desert, their clothes did not wither. Where can you buy such clothes nowadays? <laughs> Marshalls? TJ Maxx? Ross? Imagine, these are complaining and ungrateful people. But God, because God is God. And He said, I promise you, as I promised to your forefathers, and God will keep His promise. He brought them. He brought them into that good and spacious land. But not until after all of those who grumbled, that generation had died out. Yet God was still gracious. God was still faithful to them. He provided for their needs. And their clothes did not wither in those 40 years. All these department stores will close shop. Imagine you can just buy one suit and 40 years it will not wither. Wow. You like that kind of attire? I'm sure all of us like it. But that's how gracious our God is. That despite of our grumbling and complaining spirit, God does not change. His plans will still be carried out. Why? Because it is His plan. And He will do whatever it takes to have that plan accomplished in our individual and collective lives. And even for that alone, we should thank God. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The sons of Israel said to him, Would that we had died by the sword, by, by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat in the morning and in the evening, and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but the Lord. When God gave them manna, they complained, Is this all we're going to eat? Okay, you want meat? I'm going to give you meat. 
God gave them quail. And God said, You are going to eat quail until the quail comes out of your nostrils. <laughs> I kid you not. Why? They keep on complaining. They don't appreciate what they have. They're more focused on what they don't have. See the danger of grumbling? Grumbling eventually goes up to God. Now what do you complain about? Hi, my husband. Hi, my parents. Hi, my children. Hi, my boss. Hi, this is all because of Adam and Eve. God, why did you give me this husband? God, why did you give me this wife? God, why did you give me these children? God, why did you give me these parents? God, why, 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 why God? It all goes up to God. Who fashioned you and I in His image and likeness. Who sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross that we might not spend the rest of eternity in hell. When, do you like to be a, a, with a person who loves to complain? It's contagious. Yes? But also if you are around a person who is always grateful and thankful and joyful, it's also contagious. Now who do you want to be with? If you're with these Israelites, we have no food. Let's go back. Why? So they can kill us over there? They're going to kill us over here anyway. Might as well go back there and be killed over there. I mean, what's the logic in that? And where is God in that scenario? We all complain, right? Come on. We all complain. Right. But may I remind all of us, and warn us that if the majority of your life as you claim to be a child of God and a Christian is complaining may I show you a warning in the book of Jude we read that certain men have crept in among you the church okay who change or take the grace of God is a, as a license for immorality. These are godless men whose condemnation was written about long ago. So they may be in the church because the Bible tells us who have crept in among you. Right? They are godless men who take the grace of God as a license to continue in immorality. From the same book, because there's only one book and one chapter. Look at verse 16. These people are what? Grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. What have we been learning in Philippians chapter 2? Do not look only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Consider others better than yourselves. Have this attitude which was also in Christ, 
who in the very nature was God, did not grasp equality with God, something to be grasped. You see the warning that I see here? If we're just always complaining, my friend, have you really experienced the grace of God? You see the warning? What then is the antidote? What then is the cure? I submit to you, the antidote, the cure is always before us. The cure, the antidote to our complaining spirit is faith. Why? Look, faith is what? The confidence that we that what we hope will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. The Israelites just saw all the negative things that they were encountering. They refused to look at the bigger picture that God was going to bring them to a good and spacious land, a land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Did God accomplish His plan for them? Yes. So they lose sight of the fact that it was God who was planning this from the very beginning. And in our acrostic, we come about time and time again, we remind you of this passage. Can we read this? And? Where is faith over there? May I show you? Right there. By faith. By faith in God. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Are you called? So does God have a plan for you? Can you see that by faith even your worst circumstances God allows for a purpose? You see, we might be caught in the idea that, okay, God, I'm obeying you. Therefore, you have no choice but to fix my circumstance. If that is the truth, my brothers and sisters, then could you please explain to me why Paul, the disciples of Jesus Christ, why is it that in the book of Hebrews, they all were martyred? Do you think that Paul and the rest of them followed God? Yes? What did it cost them to follow God? Their life. So we might, and I want to remind all of us, we, we might look at God as some kind of genie or ATM. God, I'm following you, therefore you must bless me. I particularly asked the worship team to sing, I bow my knee this morning. You know why? Because of that part. I seek the giver, not the gift. Because if I obey God for the motive of being blessed, I might lose sight of the fact 
that I am already blessed because of God's presence in my life. And why is faith important? Hebrews 11.6 But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For, that God. for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder to those that diligently seek him. So I seek God for who God is. I do not seek God for what God can give me. Because God has already given me the free gift of eternal life. I obey God because I love God. I don't want to obey God because of the benefits that God might give me. We worship God. Why? Because as the song, one of the songs they chose to sing this morning, what? It's all about you. It's not about me. It's about God. And what is God's desire for us in 1 Thessalonians 5? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Does God desire His people to be a thankful people? So if we look at this verse, what should we be thanking God for? Good things. Yes? How about the not-so-good things? How about the really, really bad things? Why? Because by faith, we know that in all these things, God works together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. The three young men shared, not my plans, but God's plan for my life. That's where many times the tension is. That we're telling God, this is what I want, God, and this is how you, you should do this in my life. We miss the point. And even in our prayer life, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Have your prayers been answered yet? Not yet. But what is God's desire for us? That when we pray, we pray with thanksgiving. Do you get it? Why will I not be anxious? Because God is with me. Why is it that in every prayer and petition, I can thank God? Because I know that in all things, the good and the not so good, God is doing something. I praise God whether I'm in the midst of adversity, whether I'm in the midst of triumph. Job lost everything. And what did they say to his wife? His wife told him, curse God and die. Tapusin mo na to. What did Job say? Shall we accept only the good? God is God. And if God is not moving in your circumstance, is it not possible that God is changing you? God has the power 
to change your circumstances. But please do not lose the sight or the sight of the fact that if your circumstances are not changing, perhaps that which needs changing is you. Lord, give me the desire of my heart. You said if I delight in you, you will give me the desire of my heart. Lord, it's not happening. What might God do? God might change your desires. And then when you allow God to change your desire, there you will know. Then you will know His good and perfect plan for you. We go back as we close to our original text. Was, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. This Samaritan was not only healed of his leprosy, he was also healed in his soul. For he discovered Jesus Christ, who, by the bi biblical account, says, Your faith has made you well. So he put his faith in Christ. Despite his leprosy, he went to Jesus and asking to be healed in his outer self. He was not only healed in his outward appearance, but he was healed in his soul. Do you have conquest over sin? Do you have hope? Do you rejoice? When people encounter you, are they inspired or are they discouraged? Do you have success? In your life, how do you measure your success? Are we a thankful people or are we a complaining people? I'd like to ask my daughter to come and give us some music as I challenge all of us. I want you. I want all of us to bow before the Lord this morning. And I challenge you. I ask you. Have you given thanks to the Lord? What have you given thanks to the Lord for? Do we only thank Him for the good things that He allows in our lives, for the blessings? Or have we really looked at even the trials and the tribulation that God allows are really blessings that we might learn and that we might be conformed to the image and likeness of His Son, Jesus. Go before the Lord now and if you have not yet even thanked Him for your salvation, speak to Him right now, just between you and God. Lift up to Him your praise and even your problems. That in faith, if He does not change your circumstances, that He will change your heart. Wherever you are, 
with a grateful heart give thanks to the Holy One give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his son give thanks with a grateful heart give thanks to the Holy One give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his son and now let the weak say I am strong let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich because of what the Will you give thanks to the Lord even now? For those unlovable people that, you, that are in your lives. Ask God in faith and thank God in faith that you can reach out to these people. If there's someone here this morning that you're at odds with in terms of your relationship, give thanks to the Lord for He's allowing this for a purpose. So that you might be conformed to the image and likeness of His Son, Jesus. Thank Him for your financial problems. Because He's letting you know that there is hope. That if you'll only abide in Him and His Word. That if He doesn't change your circumstance, He's gonna change you. You might have problems with your children. You may have problems with your relatives. You may have problems with your spouse. Give thanks. For we are God's people and we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And He promised that by faith all things were worked together for good. If you are called to one who is called according to His purpose. Thank Him, brother. Thank Him, sister. He knows what He's doing. Say, 
thank you that we can worship you for who you are God forgive us when we see more of our circumstances rather than the God who is with us in the midst of our circumstance teach us Lord not to be like the Israelites of old but to be a thankful people thanking you even for the problems that you allow for we know that you have a good and divine purpose for them Lord God teach us Lord not to resist this molding this shaping this chiseling for you will be true to your word Lord God but for those he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son Jesus forgive us Lord God and give us hearts that will forever praise you, that will forever give you thanks. For we thank you in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, Amen. Let's give God the glory this morning. Praise God.